please stand with me. Reading from John chapter 3, this is the ending of the passages that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. It says this. After this, after his talk with Nicodemus, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptised. Now John also was baptising at Anon near Salem because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptised. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptising and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks words of God, for God gives the spirit without limit. The father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Please have a seat. Three parts to today's sermon. There's the first part, the second part, and the third part. The first part, John, the writer here, sets the scene is to help us to understand exactly what's going on. Then John describes his reactions to this. And lastly, I think John the Apostle gives us a bit of a commentary as to what's going on. And we have to remember as we're reading this that the focus of everything that John writes in his gospel is to point us to Christ, that he's the one. So as we look through this, be thinking, how, how does this show us Christ? How does this point out to us Jesus. This is part of John's Gospel. It's not in the other Gospels. The other Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, what we call the Synoptic Gospels, and they're fairly similar. Most of the, much of the material within them is, 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 is given again and again. So we have it in Matthew, we have it in Mark, we have it in Luke. But John's is, is different from them. And so John has bits and pieces of the life of Christ that we don't have in the other Gospels. And, and this is one of those bits and the question has been tossing around him in my mind all through the last week or two weeks as I've looked at these chapters, is what is God's Spirit saying here through John the Apostle? How does this fit into that? And I hope that we can have some sense of that this morning. So the first part is the setting. What's, what's actually happening here? Jesus, his disciples, have gone out into the Judean countryside and they're baptising John and his disciples are also baptising. 
place where there's plenty of water. I'm not going to go into that, but that kind of makes sense if you're going under. Right? And an argument develops between John's disciples and this random Jew that we, who we don't know it is. It tells us that they're arguing over this ceremonial cleansing, ceremonial washing. And we have no idea what that argument is about. And then John's disciples go and they talk to John. So I'm assuming that from that, we're supposed to try and work out in some sense what, John and, what John's disciples and these guys are arguing about in this whole context here. John, the apostle, expects us to try and work this out. And so they came and asked him, Rabbi, and they actually make a statement. We talked about that last week. They make a statement implying something. They say, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone's going to him. Now, we don't know how this whole conversation came about, but I think we can read something into it. I'm going to guess. But I think it comes out of the context here. That this Jew comes and he's talking with John's disciples. He's talking about baptism. And it seems reasonable to me that one of the comments that he makes is something like this. You know, your master John, he pointed to that guy, Jesus, and said he was greater than him. And we can actually go get baptized over with him. Why would we come here? Why would we come to you when we can go to the one who's greater? Why, why would we do that? And so there's this, this thing, and I imagine John's disciples are going, yeah, well, that kind of makes sense. And then they go to John, and I, I think they're worried for him. They're a little bit concerned about his ministry. Because it seems, though, that from his actions, his ministry's taking a nose. I mean, John the Baptist was an important popular guy. It says in the Gospels that people came from all of Jerusalem and Judea to hear him. I mean, he was unique. But not only was he popular, but he was powerful. His message impacted people's lives in an amazing way. So much so that when they came to him, they actually asked him questions like, are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? In other words, his, his ministry was powerful and effective. And his disciples, for his sake, say, you know, John, what's going on? What's going on? I think John, the apostle writer, the apostle who's writing, and the Holy Spirit wants us to learn from John's answers something about Jesus and something about ministry. And in the next few verses, verses 27 down to 30, I think he teaches us something about ministry because he gives John's response to this. Something about how John saw ministry, and I think by implication, the way that we need to see ministry as people who follow Jesus. A way that we see our service to God. Because John's disciples, John the baptizer's disciples, were saying, something's going wrong here with your ministry. It's, it's taken a nosedive. What's, what's going to happen? And John gives a, a response, I think in three areas, he shows us some of the response that we have to have to ministry and our service for God. So in verse 27, to this, John replied. Three things. Firstly, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. I think the first thing that John says about ministry, and particularly about his ministry, and I, I think by implication our ministries, because he doesn't say, I've received what I've been given from heaven. He says a person. 
He kind of generalizes this, he gives us this general statement about, if you like, the authority to do stuff. And he says, can only do that which is given them from heaven. He, in other words, has put the foundation of his ministry in the sovereignty of God, in the work of God. That it is God who has given him this authority for a time. And his ministry, and ours by implication, I think this is what we, we need to learn from this, is founded on, on God's work. We're called to serve. And that which we can and can't do is, is according to him. He's the one who gives authority. It's a very similar statement, if you like, to what John says over in John chapter 19. Um, if you turn to John, you don't need to turn to John. I'll, I'll pick it up for you. Sorry, I'm getting old. John chapter 19, over in verse 7. It's when Jesus is about to be crucified. Verse 8. When Pilate heard this, he was more afraid. He'd gone out to talk to the Jewish leaders and he was afraid about condemning Jesus. And he went back inside the palace. And he said to Jesus, Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Verse 10. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given you from above. We need to found our ministry in the fact that it is God at work. It's his sovereignty. This came home to me personally, and this is one of the events in my life that I look back on to a lot. In Sudan, when we first arrived in the Sudan, I was appointed as the academic dean at a Bible college. And I rocked up on the first day. And there were piles of garbage around the whole of the compound, yeah, about a metre high. Instead of taking the rubbish out, they just threw the garbage against the walls. And they had been collecting it for about 10 years. And when I started my first class, beggars from the street would wander in begging my students. No one was stopping them. Dogs would wander in and out of the classroom while I'm teaching. And I worked hard for two years. I had a little motorbike, and I would fill a plastic bag with rubbish every day and dump it out on the way home. And it took two years to empty the whole compound of garbage. Two years to get it painted. Two years to put guards at the doors to keep the beggars outside until the people went out, and then they could um, help them as they were led. To keep the dogs out of the compound. And then I got sick and was evacuated. I was lying in a hospital bed in London, and I rang one of my lecturers. He was a Southern Baptist gentleman. His name's Eddie, one of my really good friends, Eddie. And uh, he was really into this is off the topic. He used to drive his car and park at about two kilometers from the school and walk because he didn't want the security guards to follow him because he might get kicked out of the country. So it's very clandestine. It was really, really cool. We laughed every single day. But he, he was there, and I rang him up, and I said, how's it going? He said, um, the dogs are back in the compound. And I felt crushed for a while. I saw him about six or seven years later. I was, I was going through the States, dropped in to see him, and I reminded him of this story. And he said to me, I can't believe I was so insensitive. He said, it's so un-American. I said nothing. 
But then I said to him, no, actually, you know, that was the best thing you could ever do for me in terms of my ministry. Because I realised that I had been faithful in the time that I was there. The results of that and what was going to happen with that were God's business. That was up to him. He wanted to succeed, good. He wanted to fail, his business. All he asked me to do is to be faithful. On the other flip side, in terms of experience, I remember I'd been teaching up at a school in Townsville. This is 30 years ago almost. No, it can't have been. 25 years ago. And I had been teaching in this class, and you know, I talked with all the kids. I was involved in the ISCF. One of the girls wrote me a letter. One of the girls who'd been in my class wrote me a letter about eight or nine years later. And it said, Dimas Hicks. She said, I thank you so much for what you said to me that day. I've based my life on it for the last 10 years. I have no idea what I said. It was good, but I had no idea what it was. You see, the work for that was God's. And this is what John says right here. He says, a person can receive only that which is given from heaven. We have to understand that the ups and the downs, in some ways, are under the sovereign control of God. And the authority that he has came from God. I mean, if you just think about it, people like Stephen, what was his ministry? Stephen was called to be a great preacher once. That's it. Then his ministry took a nosedive, if you think about it. God had a purpose for him and a plan for him. And John the Baptist here, as he's looking at this happening with his popularity waning, with his ministry transitioning out, he says, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. So I would encourage you, as you look at your ministry, as you look at the service that you do in the church, to understand that what God has for you changes through time, but that what we're called upon to do is to seek his will in these matters. Secondly, that was his first thing. He understood that the ministry was founded in the sovereignty of God. But secondly, he understood himself. He understood who he was. He had a sober judgment about himself, as Paul would say. And the word there is, he was sane. He understood the situation. He said this, You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. His understanding of himself was clear. He knew who he was. He knew that he was there to be the light to shine on Jesus. He was just a reflection of Christ, in fact. That was, he was a voice. That was his job. But when he had done his job, he stepped back and finished what he was called upon to do. And he understood that. He didn't think that he was the one on whom everything hinged. He knew that he was really just the one pointing to Jesus. And I would suggest that this, again, is something that we need to pick up, that our ministries... We understand that we are there to serve. That's it. We're there to serve. That's it. Our lives, if you like, as Christians, belong to Christ. They don't belong to us anymore. They're his. And that in that sense, he can do with us as he wishes. And we need to accept that and we need to live in that. That in the ministries that we do, we don't live for us. And, you know, I... I get concerned sometimes as you talk to people. They say, well, look, I, ju- I just can't help you there. You know, I've got all this happening. 
And I think in the back of my mind, as I'm trying to be really encouraging, do you live for him first? Because he comes first. Really, in some ways, it's not how you feel about it yourself. It's not what you think. It's not where you want to go. It's not what you want to get out of it. It's how is Jesus magnified in this? Our job is to serve. He understood that everything was founded in the sovereignty of God and he understood who he was, a servant of God's. To do his task and then to step aside. That was what he was called upon to do. Number three, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He understood ministry. He understood, if you like, the outcomes of ministry and what they were supposed to be, outcomes of service. In those days, the, the bride and the bridegroom would have about a year-long engagement, which is probably about as long as anybody should have. And in that time, the bride kind of had some sort of idea when the bridegroom was coming, but it was her job to get some things ready in the house. And the bridegroom's job was to get a house ready for his bride-to-be. But the bridegroom had a... Sorry, the, the bridegroom? The guy that helps the friend of the bridegroom, the best man, his job was to help facilitate all of this. His job was to help in doing the organisation. He was supposed to throw himself into the task to help the bridegroom to get absolutely everything ready so it looked brilliant for his friend. So this is where this picture comes from. And then the bridegroom would come to pick up the bride to take her home and he would call out to her and she would come running out, throw herself into her arm, give him smooches and everything and off they'd go. And the bride, the friend of the bridegroom, the best man, was probably hanging around at that time and he'd put an enormous amount of effort into everything here. How would it be if as he's standing there and the bridegroom calls out, I'm here, my love, and the bride rushes out and hugs the bridegroom and off they go, the best man goes, hold on a second, I put a lot of work into this. Where's my recognition? Why aren't, why aren't I getting a kiss on the cheek here? And feel really bad about it it's just nonsensical. We wouldn't act or respond or think that anyone should respond like that. And John says, don't you understand my joy is complete because he's getting his bride. We must understand in our service that that's the, the outcome. The service is to be done that Jesus receives the glory. That God is glorified. It's not to do with us. It's to do with him. And I'd encourage you, look back at your life, look at the ministry that you've been doing or look at the ministry you haven't been doing because he's called you to be a servant. He set you apart for a particular task that he might be glorified. Look at your life, see what you're doing for his people, amongst his people, in the community. Say, is he being glorified in this? Am I waiting for something to happen for me? Am I sitting on my hands? Do I expect something else? And John, in his ministry, he knew it was based on the fact that God was at work in the world and he was king. That John the baptizer was a servant. That was it. That's who he was. And his job was to make sure that Jesus was glorified. And so he says, he must become greater. I must become less. And the clock at the back is broken. <clears throat> That's not helping me at all. What's the time? 9.30. Uh, okay, really quick. So then the main point of all of this. 
What's, what's the purpose of this? Well, why did John put this in? How does this point to Jesus? And in some ways, we get John's commentary here. I think it's John the Apostle's commentary. I think this is what he writes in verses 31 through to 36, rather than John the Baptizer. It really doesn't matter because the emphasis is still the same. He's trying to say that when we understand our service in our ministry, we understand that Jesus is actually worthy of having that first place that everything is to be poured into him. Because this passage then goes on to talk about how Jesus rightfully takes that place. If you like, he is unique, he is superior, he is above all. And this is what John, the whole gospel, wants us as, as Christian folk, as well as people who aren't believers, to recognize. Jesus is uniquely superior to all. He wants us to get that into our minds, and that that might so infuse our ministry, but, but more than that, to infuse our life, that we will look to him and see him and live for him and obey him and receive him. Four things, <clears throat> very quickly, that he brings up here. Verse 31. The one who comes from above is above all. Jesus has supreme authority. As we read in that passage in John 19, this comes from above. And Jesus, John says that Jesus is above all. He is uniquely superior in terms of authority overall. He has the right to speak. He has the right to demand action. He has the right to demand worship. He has the right to demand that we serve him. And we're going to look at three ways in which this is particularly true. But when it comes to our life and how we serve our life, John wants us to understand that often what happens is that we serve and live for ourselves. Or maybe for those amongst us who are really good people, we, we live and serve for our families or our communities or just general goodness. He says, no. Jesus is above all. He is supreme in authority. He is the one who directs our life. And the reason that John sees that Jesus should go first is because he has the greatest authority. He's above everything. God has put everything under Jesus' feet. He's not an itinerant carpenter speaker. He's the Lord of the universe. We need to understand that. Secondly, the one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Not only is he superior in authority, but he is superior in what he has to teach us and show us. It's first-hand if you like. When we speak, when I speak, when Daryl speaks, when anyone whom we're talking to has the conversation with us, we're passing on reflected information, if you like. Taking the word of God, applying it. it it's, it's from him, it's not from us. When we have these conversations with people around us, they're talking earthly stuff. 
I get amazed when people have an opportunity to read the word of God and yet they talk with one and say, you know, I've been thinking about God. I, I, you know, I'm not sure it's exactly like what it says in the Bible. I think he's a bit more like this. Where does that come from? Well, John says that comes from the earth. That's earthly knowledge. That, that earthly people speak like earthly people. He says, why is Jesus so superior? Why is he the one whose ministry must rise, who must be glorified in everything? Well, because he comes from heaven. When he speaks, his testimony is someone who's seen and heard. If he tells us about life, if he tells us about what's going to happen, if he tells us about truth, he knows this stuff because he's from heaven. He's above all. The information that he shares, that he brings the life, that he shows is one that has first-hand knowledge of this stuff. So it's supremely important. John was just, he was passing on a message from God. From the one who had given him a message to pass on. Jesus was God. Moving on. Number three. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has spent, sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the spirit without limit. Why is Jesus superior? Because every word he said was true. Empowered by the spirit of God working within him. Sometimes when you're preaching you really kind of get the feeling that the Spirit of God is saying something. I, I, and the preachers don't normally talk about this, I don't think. But sometimes you, it just feels like you're hot. You're, and not hot, hot, but, you know, your body's hot and there's a tingling. You really kind of have this feeling that God is speaking. And then there's other times it's, you, you feel what's saying is true, but, and it's, hopefully it's communicating, but it's there. And then there's other times when you're outside and you're talking with your family and your friends and you, what you say is kind of wishy-washy and whatever. And then there's those times when you lie. <clears throat> Hopefully not up here. When you say bad things. Jesus was never like that. Every single word that came out of his mouth was true. The things he said about life, the things he said about God, the things he said about himself were true. And John wants us to realize that everything that he now writes in the future, what Jesus is saying, comes from the one who is from heaven, who has all authority, and who only speaks the truth. And so fourthly, he encourages us to listen because, verse 35, the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Why is it supremely important that John the baptizer says, yes, his ministry must increase? Because Jesus' message, what Jesus is doing, not only has supreme authority, not only comes from heaven, not only is empowered by the Holy Spirit so that it is always true because Jesus himself is God, but because the message that he shares is supremely important. On this message hangs life and death. It's a message of supreme importance to us. In the rest of John's Gospel, Jesus says a lot of things. And John wants it to be clear that the things that Jesus said must be believed. 
Whoever believes in the Son has it, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life. In other words, the things that Jesus says should be accepted. And he gives great teaching and all that other stuff. But as we look at Jesus' life, Jesus said some great things about himself. And John wants us to understand how important it is to have this relationship with Christ. If I just go through and look at some of the bits of John. John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus says this, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. John chapter 7, verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. John chapter 11. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. John chapter 12, 44. Then Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. John 12, 46. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. John 14, 12. Very truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The message that Jesus has, the person of Jesus has supreme importance because on him hinges life and death. And that's what John writes this gospel for, that we might know that. Not just a simple matter of understanding the knowledge that's there, but as Jesus goes on, that not only that, but believing in him is this idea of repenting and believing turning our back on the other knowledge, the other way of life, trusting in ourselves, not living under the sovereignty of God, not doing things for his glory, and instead now living for him, understanding we're in God's world, we're to live for him. And understand that we put our trust and faith in Jesus, who is God, because in him is life. And this is, I think, the second application for us. And I would challenge you, is this where you're at? Do you believe in Christ? Because in him is life. Without him, there's death. The last bit says, God's wrath remains on them. All of us, if you like, live under the settled wrath of God. We are condemned. But we can have life by believing in Christ. There is a wrath that is coming. A dreadful day. And if we're found in Christ, we know we have life. That's why Jesus is so important and his message is so important. And he says, the one who always speaks the truth, the one who speaks a message from heaven, the one who is from heaven and has the authority of heaven says, believe in me. That's what he says. And if you don't yet believe in him, if you haven't yet turned your back on your own selfish living, you haven't understood that Jesus has died on the cross to bring you to new life and that you need to trust him to take away your sin and to lead you into the future, then I really encourage you, please do that today. So in conclusion, have a look at your ministries. Think about it. Do you serve as servants? Do you serve for his glory? Do you understand that you live in his world and you live in his timing?
and you're to live that way faithfully and that in all things you want him to be magnified. Think on that, particularly those of us who are believers. If there's anyone here who's not a believer, focus in on Christ. If you don't believe in him, he makes it very clear we're still under wrath. And I would encourage you, if you have not yet turned to Christ, that you do so this morning. For those of us who have turned to us, to him, renew your faith. Remind yourselves of how great Christ is, that in him you have life, and that from you will flow living water, and that it might spread out. And you might take this message elsewhere. Let's pray. Father God, Thank you so much for sending Jesus. I pray that you'll help each of us to be faithful in our ministries, to seek to serve you as we ought, to do the things that please you in all of our lives. Help us to understand that things come and go. There are times and seasons. But that our responsibility is to serve you, that in all things Christ is glorified. Help us to review our lives, to review our service, to review our ministries, to make sure that we are walking in accordance with your will, living for you that Christ might be glorified in us. Father, I pray for those here who do not yet know you, who maybe believe in their minds that these things are true but haven't yet made the turnabout, haven't yet put their trust in Christ, haven't yet repented of what they've done and turned to what the way of life that Christ calls them to. And I pray that this very morning that they might do that. Father, I pray all these things in Jesus' holy and wonderful name. Amen.